The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that when what had been spoken through the prophets, Isaiah, might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who sat in the region in shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. For those of you who may not be particularly familiar with some of the inside language in the Episcopal Church, you know, we have this term colic for prayer, and it's sometimes confusing to people. A colic is really a collecting prayer, and they're beautiful prayers. Uh, some of them are, are ancient, some of them are fairly new. Uh, we're fortunate, uh, Rick Wheeler, uh, every week, uh, picks the and gives a little commentary on it and provides it on our website. You can also get it by email from him. But the colics are wonderful prayers that focus our worship at the very beginning of our worship. But they're collecting prayers, and it's traditional to have a brief silence before the colics so that it's possible for people to pray their personal prayer, and then all of our prayers are collected into this, into this glorious colic that begins our worship. Today's collect is, I think, particularly beautiful. It, it goes like this. Give us grace, O Lord, to answer readily the call of our Savior Jesus Christ and proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation, that we and the whole world may perceive the glory of his marvelous works. Amen. That collect points us toward the question of call. And that's what I want to address this morning in this sermon. Call, I think, is opened up for us a bit in this gospel lesson, and I'm hoping to be able to point to some of the things as I go along. But first, I want to start with uh, perhaps what is the realization of a call. It was a couple of weeks ago that a great number of us gathered at Trinity Church in Boston for the ordination of uh, the new uh, ordinance to become priests in this diocese. 
And April Pruitt and I were fortunate to, with, with others, to be able to present our own Regina Walton, who is the director of Christian education here, present her for ordination to the priesthood. And also, many of you probably remember Mark Sweet, who used to be a member of this congregation, was also ordained at that service. It was a glorious service. It went on for nearly three hours, I believe. Now, it's a little bit more liturgy than some want, I'm sure, but it was a beautiful service. But as I sat there and took part in it, I also was struck by the reality that whenever I have attended the ordination of a deacon or a priest or the consecration of a bishop especially, there's the sense that we elevate those calls so high, we make so much of them, that in the process of doing that, we have lost sight of and have devalued, I believe, the priesthood of all believers. And it never fails that when I attend one of those services, I recall another ordination service. This one was in the Diocese of Chicago. And the preacher at that service was Chilton Knudsen, who later became the Bishop of Maine. And Chilton, uh, preaching just before a large number of uh, candidates were about to be ordained priests, she said something like this. Those of you who are here today witnessing this, these ordinations probably think that this is the most important day in the lives of these people. Because they have prepared for years, literally years, to get to this point. But then she said, I have news for you. This is not the most important day in the lives of these people. The most important day was the day that they were baptized. I think it's important for us to recall that because we are all, in a sense, ordained to serve as servants of Christ, as Christians, little Christ, carrying light as the light bearer Jesus did. We are all commissioned to be ministers. And sometimes all of that language, I think, gets in the way of what it is to live the Christian life, to live as followers of Jesus. Well, I'm hoping that this morning's gospel will help me open up for you an understanding of call and how it happens in our lives. This morning's gospel allows us, I think, to be observers at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. And it's a perilous time, I think, in Jesus' life. Because John the Baptist has been arrested, and you know from today's gospel, Jesus is proclaiming the same message that John the Baptist did. He's saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And John the Baptist is arrested because those in power and authority could not stand that message. And Jesus leaves that ministry, perhaps leaving uh, Judea, the area around Jerusalem, and going up to Galilee, to uh, the northwest side of uh, the Sea of Galilee, to Capernaum, the home of Peter. And there he makes his home. And in this gospel it says that he left Nazareth, his home in Nazareth, and made his home in Capernaum. Now, Galilee was a strange place to people who lived in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the heart of the faith. The temple was there. Everything needed to be a good Jew was there. It was possible to live out your faith without it being too intermingled with all the strangeness of the foreign world. But that was not the case in Galilee. Because Galilee was at the crossroads of the trading routes. 
And because of that, Galilee had many people of different traditions, religions, different, different uh, ethnic groups. There were Syrians, there were Arabs, Asians, Greeks, Phoenicians, and of course the majority population, Jews. And the people who lived in Galilee were considered, the Jews who lived there, were considered not to be quite of the same standard of Judaism as those who lived in Judea and in Jerusalem. Because they lived in that area of, of uh, the Jewish world that had such a mix of peoples and beliefs, they were thought to be perhaps defiled by that. And now Jesus, rather than going to Jerusalem or Judea to open up this ministry of proclamation, decides he will go to Galilee, to this place that even Isaiah refers to as a place of darkness and death. Jesus does not go to the seat of power. He does not go to those who have the most money, to those who have the most that might be able to change the lives of the most people. He doesn't speak to the seat of power, but he speaks and he goes to those who are in most need, the people in darkness. He goes to minister among those in Galilee, far from where he might have thought his ministry would have taken him. I think it's important for us to see this because Jesus, I believe, always is moving toward the margin and never toward the center of power. He always is moving toward those who are in the most need, not the ones who have a lot. One writer put it this way about Jesus going to Galilee. Jesus turned rejection into acceptance, ugliness into beauty, isolation into fellowship, sickness into health, death into life. So the first thing we notice about the beginning of Jesus' ministry, at least as it's described in Matthew, is that he came to people in great need. And he was also pulled out of a place where he may have been comfortable. No longer was he that carpenter who could kind of be on the edge of things. No longer was he in the shadow of John the Baptist, but rather he was going to be in the center of things. And he would become the one that they would be so upset with, that would be seen as such a threat. The very next thing we see about the beginning of this ministry is the call of his first disciples. And it's interesting because if you uh, remember the gospel lesson from last week, uh, from John's gospel, the disciples, the first disciples, are described as having sought Jesus out. But in Matthew's gospel, Jesus calls them. They don't seek him out. There's no evidence that they wanted to be a part of what Jesus, this itinerant rabbi, was teaching. And I think that's something that we want to think about a little bit later. How is it that we receive this call? How is it that God enters into our lives? And sometimes it seems as though we're seeking. We're the ones that are asking. But perhaps it's the other way around. And Jesus is calling fishermen. Now, fishermen, uh, un unlike the hymn we just sang, life for fishermen wasn't all that simple and it wasn't all that peaceful. They paid big taxes. They had obligations to meet. There were rich people that wanted to have a certain amount of fish every day in order to meet their needs. And if you couldn't provide it, you would no longer be their fishermen. There, were, there was a lot of pressure. I think we often look back on ancient times and think it was so idyllic. It was so unlike the complications we live with in this world. 
I don't think any of us would have wanted to be a fisherman at the time of Jesus. They lived in a world of great unrest, a world where a few had so much and so many had so little, and especially perhaps in Galilee. And Jesus calls these fishermen, and they are asked to leave their nets and to do something very different. They're called out of their comfort zone, and they're asked to do something very, very different. And in a sense, I think they're called to be the church, the extension of Christ as the body of Christ. I believe that the first picture we have of the church is that group of disciples who really are the body of Christ, extending Christ's ministry with their hands, with their feet, with their lives, being light bearers into the world around them. Well, I think there are a number of things that we can take from this gospel that will help us understand what call might mean in our lives, in all of our lives. First of all, Jesus is not looking for perfect people. I'd be willing to guess that the conversations that went on among fisher folk were not always conversations for children to hear. <laughs> they were probably difficult people to deal with. I mean, after all, their lives were difficult. They probably were involved in bribery from time to time. I'll never forget being in Turkey and, and remembering seeing our priests bribe somebody at the port in order to be able to get something into Turkey. And I asked him, you know, how do you reconcile that? That's bribery. And he said, well, that's the way life is here. I think that that was the way life was for fisher folk. It was not easy. They were not perfect people. Peter was probably one of the last people you'd want to spend a lot of time with. We are difficult people, all of us. There are aspects of our lives that are not easy for other people to deal with. God calls people just like you and me, like Peter, like those fishermen. I believe that all of us can be called by God. God is not looking for perfection. I think it was my bishop when I, just before I went to seminary, who said to me, and uh, keep in mind that the chapel at the seminary I went to is uh, everyone sat in choir, so everyone... Uh, sat in pews that went down the aisle this way and we faced one another during worship. He said, you will be kneeling someday in chapel and looking across the aisle and asking, how did that person ever get to seminary? <laughs> he said, just remember, they're kneeling on the other side of the aisle looking at you wondering, how did you ever get to seminary? I think that that is what it is to be a Christian. We sometimes have this idea of others having to be a certain way in order to have ministry or in order to be engaged in some ministry. And the truth is that we are human and we are all different. And some of us have a lot of edges. The other thing I think we need to keep in mind is that the actor in this is God, not us. We think it's us. We think we are the ones who identify areas that we want to be engaged in as ministry. We're the ones who decide we want to go down and work at St. Stephen's to help out down there. We're the ones that want to be engaged at the uh, soup kitchen with the cathedral or want to be a part of helping with the fair or with the auction or that that's us. We're deciding this. 
But if we look back over our lives, over the circumstances that have existed before we make that decision, we find that people have been brought into our lives or circumstances have happened or we talked to someone, we heard something on the radio, something came into our life that motivated us to be engaged in that ministry. I believe that God is always the actor. God is always the one who is calling. We think we're the ones that are deciding. But it's God that's drawing us in to ministry all of the time. I think that God also will call us almost always to move out of our comfort zones. And if we're engaged in ministry that's simply a place that we feel comfortable, that may not be exactly where God would have us. So many times, I think, God is calling us to do or be engaged in some way in ministry in an area we would never dream that we would be or want to be. I'll never forget, I've, I had said this, I think, more than once to friends and certainly to Lou, that I had hoped that I would never have to deal with two topics in my ministry. One was abortion and the other was homosexuality. And the truth is that I could not escape those two subjects. And in fact, uh, one of them, homosexuality, became a part of our lives as one of our children is gay. It's impossible, I think, for us to tell God that there are places I don't want to go. Because oftentimes that's exactly where God will lead us. And I think we've seen that in the lives of those fishermen. Truth be told, they would probably rather continue in the life that they knew than have to go off into something that they didn't know anything about. God leads us into places that we think we cannot go. And we find God there ahead of us, ready to help us, to be with us, to sustain us, so that we may be the ministers, we may be the light that's needed in that place at that time. And then I think we need to ask but what about old Zebedee? Now, old Zebedee was probably younger than me. <laughs> but he was left behind with the boat and the nets. And the two sons went off following this rabbi. I believe that Zebedee was also faithful. I think many of us are Zebedees. Many of us are called to blossom where we're planted. We're called to be the light that God has meant for the world in the place where we are, in the workplace where we are, called to a vocation that may seem completely unrelated in some way to ministry. I'm sure that many people would wonder how I could ever see serving as an officer in the Air Force as ministry. But I can tell you there were many, many, many days that I served as a minister, as light, present in a dark place when people were struggling with the life they found in the office, people struggling with personal problems, and is all they were looking for was light. I think that God puts all of us where we are to be light in the darkness. And that, too, is ministry. That, too, is a call of God. And perhaps I think the most important thing for us to see in all of this is that we do not minister alone. Jesus didn't minister alone. That's why he called disciples. 
Ministry is not meant to be done individually outside of community. We can't even discern ministry, really, without having community. We think we hear God, but we need to have others also hear God in order for us to affirm that this is what God is calling us to. I was in a parish, uh, in, we were in a parish in, in uh, uh, Illinois when I, while I was at seminary, who, which had a group called a, a clearance committee. And the clearance committee's purpose was to meet with people who were seeking to discern what should happen next in their life. It, it often was around vocation, but sometimes had to do with other aspects of their life as well. And the whole purpose of that committee was to ask questions and to listen. To listen to what that person had to say and to listen to what they heard God saying about that person's life. Ministry is lived out of community and it is discerned and sustained by community. Now you might ask, I don't think of myself as a minister. And unfortunately, the language, I think, makes it very hard for a lot of us to relate to it. I think it helps to think of being a light bearer, being one who bears light into a dark world. And that can take so many different forms. And there are so many ways at Trinity to be able to be a light bearer, to bring a, a glimpse of light to someone who is in the midst of darkness. I believe, I truly believe that God is calling every single one of us to be light bearers, to be like Jesus, going into that dark place and bringing light. Amen.